What if you had a guide who could tell you how to bridge a gap between who you are today and who you're destined to be? What if each week you could hear a story of someone who has tried and succeeded, or perhaps tried and failed, but learned something in the process? Limitless Spirit is a weekly podcast where host Helen Todd interviews guests about topics and personal stories on defining life's purpose, pursuing personal growth, and developing a deeper faith in Christ. Every time I heard a pastor preaching on the Great Commission, I would leave church and feel hopeless. I would feel ashamed and guilty because the pastor would say, if only you love Jesus more, you would share your faith. But once I understood my scent identity, I realized that I could stop doing things for Jesus and start doing things with Jesus, that this was this supernatural adventure I was going on every day with Jesus. And it just fills your heart with hope to know those principles that God's always at work. He uses people to lead others to Jesus, and he's continually inviting you into the work of evangelism, no matter where you are. Welcome to this episode of the Limitless Spirit podcast. I'm your host, Helen Todd, and this episode continues the current series, Hope Rising. There is nothing more painful than a broken hope, or more dangerous than a misguided hope. Today, I talk with Dr. Heather Holloman, a professor at Penn State University, about how to develop a healthy hope and what are some practical steps one can take towards a satisfying and meaningful life that also gives hope to other people around you. Hello, Heather. Welcome to the Limitless Spirit podcast. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad to be back with you. This is fun. Oh, I so enjoyed our conversation last time. And even then, we already made plans that uh, we're going to have a chat again. And uh, you just seem to be writing these great books, (laughs) which deserve to be discussed. And um, so today we're going to talk about your book, Scent, which I know is one of your bestsellers, and it really very much goes along with the vision of our ministry uh, of making disciples all around the world. And so I think it's a very important subject. But also, uh, since we are in the series right now, Hope Rising, I also feel that this theme fits very much into the discipleship angle. And so let's let's talk about what hope means to you. Well, in terms of things like that I explored in the book Scent, what the, the most hopeful thing that I think about when I think about God right now is that he's always at work to draw people to himself, whether or not we perceive it. It's just a mindset shift to know that our, you know, God is working. His goodness is always operative. He's always drawing people to himself. But a lot of times we get discouraged and hopeless because we don't see evidence of him at work. So that's one of the things that what hope means to me is these things are true, whether or not we perceive them. And our capacity to perceive God at work is really limited, you know, by our human reason, the way we're perceiving things. So I find just a lot of hope in that first core principle of living a scent life that God's always at work to draw people to himself. So uh, talking about living a scent life, this is this is a lifestyle of hopeful people, I believe, that people who 
have the true hope, the unshakable hope. The lifestyle of hope is the scent life. So what are some of the principles? What is scent life? You spell out the principles of scent life in your book. Well, I love how you're connecting scent to hope because it does change how you wake up in the morning and the hopeful expectation you have during the day when you live a scent life. So what I learned as I read the scriptures is that the number one way Jesus describes the father in the book of John is the father who sent me. So I'm thinking this is core to his own understanding of his own identity, that Jesus constantly reminds himself, I am sent. I'm sent from the father. So I got so excited when you get to John 20, 21, and he says, as the father has sent me, so I send you. And so it's this beautiful, hopeful moment of, okay, this is my identity. This is what Jesus says about me. And so the three principles that govern this kind of sent mindset are that God's always at work to draw people to himself. We know that from Ecclesiastes, Jesus says in John 5, my father's always at work and I too am working. And I love that he seeks and saves the lost and that work is continuing. The second principle is that for whatever reason, God chooses to use people to draw others to Jesus. He doesn't have to. We know in scripture, he uses donkeys. He commands ravens. He could make the rocks cry out if he wanted to, but he invites us into this great work of evangelism, this idea of, you know, he will use people. He says, follow me. I will send you out to fish for people. And I also love Second Corinthians and just kind of that astonishing idea that wherever we go, we're the aroma of Christ, that we're Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. That's Second Corinthians 5. And the last principle is that God is continually inviting us into the work of evangelism. And that would be the Great Commission, Matthew 28. But what I love about your connection to hope is every time I heard a pastor preaching on the Great Commission, I would leave church and feel hopeless. I would feel ashamed and guilty because the pastor would say, if only you love Jesus more, you would share your faith. But once I understood my scent identity, I realized that I could stop doing things for Jesus and start doing things with Jesus that this was this supernatural adventure I was going on every day with Jesus. And it just fills your heart with hope to know those principles that God's always at work. He uses people to lead others to Jesus. And he's continually inviting you into the work of evangelism, no matter where you are. You are so right. And, and that understanding completely changes what we hope for, because it matters what we're hoping for. And so when you switch the shift from, like, I love what you said, instead of doing things for God, which you can never measure up, my goodness, you know, you, he is the ultimate father and the ultimate master that you want to please. And, oh my goodness, how do I ever live up to him, to his expectations, to his uh, ideal? It's, it's impossible. It's very discouraging. But when you shift your mindset to doing things with God, it's an adventure. And then you hope for the opportunity <laughs> in that adventure. Yes. And it connects you to eternal things. Like, I love how you just asked, like, what are we supposed to hope? Because I don't know, Helen, you look really young to me, but I feel 
old. Like I've been around enough that I know that the things we put our hope in never satisfy. Like you can't trust in so many things. Like who knows what your health's going to be next year? Who knows? You could hope in having the most beautiful home. And when you get that home, it doesn't satisfy. You can hope for a great prestigious career. It doesn't satisfy. These things are shakeable things that you, it's not going to meet that ache in your soul to be connected with Jesus and to be involved in eternal things. And so that as I'm getting older, because I'm almost 50, I um, have realized, you know, what the psalmist says, you know, whom have I in heaven, but you and on earth, nothing I desire. I desire nothing besides you. My my strength and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I probably messed up that that uh, memorization right there, but you know what I mean. Like, what what are people hoping for? So I've just kind of realized that the most exciting life I can live is being connected with Jesus and cooperating with what He's doing in the world. The greatest thing He's doing in the world is building a kingdom for Himself. So why wouldn't I put my hope there? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Have you hoped in? things that you thought would like make you happy or make everything right. And you're like, this feels empty. This did not do what I thought it would do for me. Have you had that experience? I have. Absolutely. And as it turns out, Heather, we're about the same age. (laughs) Your (laughs) listeners are listening. They don't get to see how great you are with your curls and your cool glasses. You look so hip. And I just feel so old. I'm like the old professor on campus. But Actually, I'm a little older than you even, but I completely can relate because, and you know, it it probably does come with being around the sun a few times where you realize these things that you just really, really wanted and, and strived for in your teens or maybe your 20s and even 30s, you know, and, and hopefully you've achieved some of them and you realize, wow, this doesn't just cut it. It wasn't maybe even worth all the effort and pain. And then, you know, you realize that the things that uh, the scripture is telling us about that have to do with eternity, these are the ones that stay with you through life and they are what you lean on and draw your satisfaction from. And and what we hope for shifts, you know, as we realize that. And 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 this can't come just from theory, you know. You have to grasp it. You have to experience that in your life. Maybe some disappointments, you know. <laughs> and, you know, when you talk about disappointments, one of the things that has given me so much hope in my scent identity is any situation I'm in, no matter how disappointing, no matter how much I'm suffering, I know how to now take my eyes off myself and say to myself, okay, I'm here because someone here does not yet know Jesus. So for example, I had emergency kidney stone surgery and I was really trusting God with my scent identity. And I was like, God, are you sending me to the emergency room? Not Is, it, is the real story not about my kidney stone? Is it because someone here does not yet know Jesus? Oh my goodness, Helen, in the hospital, I got to talk about Jesus so many times. I got to talk to the nurse. I got to bring my book, Seated with Christ. I was just there sharing Christ. And the story that I tell in Scent, actually the very first time I ever was used by God to lead someone to Jesus, it was about my pain in my jaw from grinding my teeth at night. I was sent to a dentist and I got in a conversation with the dental hygienist and I was able to bring out a gospel presentation. She prayed to receive Christ. I left that appointment thinking, 
okay, the real story is not my pain, not my disappointment, not this terrible location I'm living in or whatever room you enter in. Your first thought should be, okay, I'm here because there's someone who doesn't yet know Jesus. I don't know. Isn't that so exciting to you, Helen? Like, If my dishwasher breaks, that's not the story. The story is that there'll be a repair person who might not yet know Jesus. So I cannot explain to you how hopeful this adventure is and how it's helped me wake up, not with anxiety and depression and fear anymore, but more this sense of adventure. But it really does, God put it to the test with that emergency kidney stone. And he puts it to the test whenever I'm in a situation where I'm like, I do not want to be here the Holy Spirit, it's like that whisper in your heart, like take your eyes off yourself, look across the table, who here does not yet know Jesus and your I have sent you. I mean, it's really exciting. I don't know. It's a light, it's life-changing for me. Have you experienced that? Like you've been in a really bad situation and then you realize later God put you there to encourage someone or be a blessing or lead them to Jesus? Absolutely. And and what I think is the challenge is to reframe your mindset because, you know, as you're sharing your story, uh, you went to the emergency room with that kidney stone and you were the victim of a sickness. You were the victim of that kidney stone or whatever, you know, uh, ailment your body had. But when you um, reframed that situation from the perspective of the sent life, suddenly that's not that's not a trage- personal tragedy, so to speak, but it's an opportunity for adventure. Yes, it's uncomfortable, uh, but let's let's face it: all the great things in life start with discomfort. You know, <laughs> kind of true. So, oh, that's a great quote. All the great things start with discomfort. Oh my gosh, that should be like a book you write, Helen. Because think about it: labor and delivery, a great thing, starts with discomfort. You know, the birth. The birth of new in your life, you know, our our ministry is all about getting people out of their comfort zone and onto the mission field, and and it's it's a challenge, you know. It's it's not nobody likes that. Nobody says, "Ooh, I can't wait to get out of my comfort zone." I have met very few. I'm trying to think of well, maybe my oldest son. He just lives for adventure. <laughs> so, but there are not many people who willingly go out of the comfort zone. And so I watch this pattern, you know, we've we've done our work for over 20 years and I watch uh, these awesome men and women of God that, you know, they they've believed in Jesus for a number of years. They're faithful uh, attenders of their churches. They might be even involved in some ministries and all of a sudden they develop this urge in their uh, spirit that they have to go, you know, and, and many times they don't know where this came from and they're not sure why they're supposed to go. And, but then they, they're just, they're just good disciples. You know, they know that it's God calling them. So they obey and, and they get out of their comfort zone and then they're like lost. Okay. So what am I supposed to do now? You know, how, how do I practically live that sent life? So let's talk about, uh, some practical ways, uh, that we can, uh, live the scent life. Let's start with first, um, you mentioned in your book, the uh, survey by the Barna Group um, that actually in 2019, there were 47% of Christians who believed that it was wrong to share their faith. Where does that even come from? I know. Isn't that just astonishing? I think it's because young people think like it's offensive or it's wrong to have like a firm viewpoint about anything. 
But it doesn't really make sense to me because, you know, young people are social activists. If they believe in a cause, they will, they will, you know, track me down. They will tell me, Dr. H, you need to come to this thing. You need to do this. You need to be that, you know, being a vegan or a vegetarian, they will go on and on and on. But when it comes to trying to convince people about Jesus, suddenly they're like, oh, that's wrong. I don't want to offend anyone. I just feel like it's so fascinating to me because once you understand your scent identity, you really do see yourself in any situation like, okay, I'm here and my job as I'm filled with the Holy Spirit is to let Jesus make his appeal through me. And it's almost happening despite you. Like I, I I say to people, evangelism isn't something I'm doing. It's who I am. And that's why I got so excited in the New Testament as you look at um, kind of the, the titles and job descriptions that God gives for sent people. Because I, I teach professional development and the professional portfolio at Penn State. So I'm always like, the most important thing, look at your title and the job description. That's how you know this is a good fit for you. Well, in the New Testament, in any situation, you're a farmer, fisherman, ambassador, or royal priest. This is like your identity. This is what you're doing in any situation. So I think that Barner research, you know, I, I have no idea. I have no idea why. It, it also could just be plain old spiritual battle. The fear, like just let's shut this down. Because of course, there's an enemy of our souls who doesn't want people to live out their scent identity. I don't know. What do you think? I'd, I'd be really curious in all your experience, Helen, like, why do you think young people don't share their faith? Uh, well, you're stumping me now. I know. I think um, it's fear. It's just fear. Don't you think? I think maybe it's also lack of personal experience. You know, again, we're going back to the comfort zone. I think that the generation that did not live through uh, wars, um, I mean, granted, we've had wars, but not on our soil or um, other, you know, times of lack or need or uncertainty, relatively comfortable generation where perhaps they have not had that uh, personal experience. So how Christ is being shared, like if you look in the New Testament, the woman at the well, you know, what got her? Now, Christ is offering her living water that she will never be thirsty uh, from. And she's kind of intrigued by that, but she's also kind of doubting, like, you don't even have a bucket, you know, how are you going to get me that water? And then Jesus tells her everything about her. He knows exactly who she is, how many husbands she's had, whom she's living with now. And he's telling it to her, not in a judging way, but like, I know you and I'm not judging you. And that's what gets her. At that moment, she's running to town and she's telling everyone there, uh, this man knows everything about me. She's not telling them about the living water. She's telling them she met this guy who knows everything about her, and she thinks that he's the Messiah because he knew her so precisely. I mean, I was just reading this today in my devotions. That's why the story is so fresh. And so then the scripture says that the people came out there because of what she told them. And then they believe in Jesus. They then hear his words and they believe on their own. But what hooked them, what got them was that testimony. And I think you are hesitant to share about Christ until you have that moment, personal moment. I think he you nailed it. it. 
I know, think or, I think that's the answer. You nailed it. I think they don't have a story to tell. They don't have they a don't story have to a story tell story yet to because tell. once you know him, once you know Jesus and you know your salvation story, your story of God maturing you, your story of God providing supernaturally, you can't help but weave those into conversation. So I I think you're right. I think you're right. It, and and that like think about Lazarus like can you imagine his story? He was like, guys, I was dead. <laughs> and this, I was dead four days, not one hour, not 15 minutes, four days, mind you. I was wrapped in those strips and everything. And I walked out of the grave. Can you imagine that story? And so if someone knows Jesus in that way, where they have been rescued, you know, a person who was delivered from drug addiction, for example, and, and, the only way that that happened to them was through their faith in Christ. And I met people like that, you know, man, they are not shy or um, uh, hesitant about sharing Christ because, you know, they have that experience. And so, but if you think about it, and that's why your question is probably still not answered. If you think about it, doesn't everyone who knows Jesus have that experience? in one way or the other. It may not be super dramatic, you know, but just the fact of your salvation, isn't that like, I mean, I was 14 when I accepted Christ and I accepted Christ by reading a gospel track. So it wasn't anything dramatic. You know, I wasn't a drug addict or uh, it wasn't dramatic, but it was a very powerful moment because it was like this encounter with God's word and me responding to it. I will never forget that moment, you know. And so if nothing else, that alone, how human heart out of nowhere responds to God, it's a miracle too. Um, and ultimately, if you know, G if you've accepted Jesus into your heart, you have that story. So maybe, maybe part of it is that people don't recognize it. What do you think? I think so. And also it could be a lack of training or a misunderstanding about what evangelism is. You're just participating with the Holy Spirit and what he's already doing in people's lives. And primarily as we pray, because the book talks about seven ways to pray, you can pray that God opens the door for the message of the gospel and it, and it should feel easy and light. I mean, of course there's spiritual battle, but it should feel obvious like, okay, here's a moment I can step right in. And I think people put a lot of pressure on themselves. That's why I love the titles and job descriptions, because like the farmer, for example, you know, sows the word. He's preparing the soil of someone's heart. It might not be a full gospel presentation, but the work of the farmer is just making the soil good, you know, making a world where the gospel could be true for them, talking about hope, about eternal things. The fisherman is, you're just using a lot of spiritual language to see if people take the bait, if they want to talk about Jesus. You know, the last two are much more declarative, and maybe that's why young people get nervous. I mean, the ambassador is a very confident, bold description. I mean, you're delivering the message from the sending king. You don't, you don't share your own opinion. You're not worried. You know you're protected. You know, you're in the embassy hanging out. You're protected. No one's going to harm you. But you're really bold. And same with the royal priest. A royal priest steps in a room, knows they have the authority to explain God's word to people and to pronounce blessing in the name of the Lord. So I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about the whole scope of living a sent life and how 
again, it is an easy story to tell. There's even a chapter called The Easiest Story to Tell. So I think you've really tapped into some of the ways we can help develop people so they feel really confident in their scent life. So what I'm hearing you say is that stepping into scent life is first determining your identity. Mm -hmm. The three core values, yep. And then and then figuring out how your identity is actually uh, can be used. Like, are you a fisherman? You know, are you the ambassador? Are you the royal priest? How does it fit into that uh, scheme of things? Yes. And God doesn't use you despite your personality. He uses you because of your personality. So my husband's an introvert who doesn't think well on his feet. He's not a natural evangelist. Like I clearly have some kind of supernatural gift of evangelism, but by faith, filled with the Holy Spirit, my husband does the work of an evangelist and he just led our 85-year-old neighbor to the Lord and does discipleship with him every Friday. And so I like the job descriptions and titles because it kind of relates to different personality types. And so I love that. But you're right. Once you get the three core principles of Ascent Life down, I actually think the next step is to understand what I call a theology of place, meaning the place where God has you. It's no accident what your neighborhood is. It's no accident where you go to the gym or your grocery store or your natural pathways of life. And to open your eyes up, I mean, Jesus says, look up, the fields are ripe, are white for harvest. But a lot of people aren't looking up to see who God has placed in their natural pathway. So Ash and I always encourage people you know, write down the names of five people in your natural pathways. It's no accident. That's Acts 17. He determines the exact places where we live, the times and the boundaries of our lives. So write down those names and begin praying, begin interceding and see what God will do. So that's really the first step. And then the next step is that prayer. And then as God opens the door, you've got great stories to tell, like what we just talked about. And you're going to be trained in the book, uh, How to Ask Really Good Questions. And so the next book I wrote on having better conversations really flows out of that chapter on having good conversations, like asking good questions. Once you have a warm and loving connection with people, it will never feel like a sales pitch or awkward because you have a loving connection with them. You're just sharing your life. You're inviting them to understand Jesus as part of a relationship that you have with them. So I really think people will finish the book and feel that they are equipped, that they're excited, that they're living in hope, like you talked about at the beginning of this, um, about the beginning of this podcast, just living in the hope that you can do this, that God will use you. That's awesome. You talk uh, in your book about casting a bait. So what what does that mean to a person? Well, what I have found is, you know, when we use spiritual language, it is like we're being fishermen. You know, when Jesus says you'll fish for people, I think about using appealing language that people who are hungry will come after. And it's happened so many times. Like I'll mention, you know, just my love of Jesus or an answer to prayer or a Bible passage I was reading or just things I'm learning as I talk to people. And they'll say things like one businesswoman in town approached me and she said, you know, I hear you say God all the time. And she said, what do you mean by that? Who is God and how can I know him? I mean, can you believe that, Helen? Just because she heard me say the word God, 
my students love talking about my prayer journal. Like they ask, what, what is prayer? How do I know God hears my prayers? How do I know he answers? That just leads to a gospel presentation because why can we approach God with confidence because of Jesus? And then sometimes, like, for example, I have office mates that are atheists or from different religions. And if they say, how are you doing? I'll say, I'm doing great, but, you know, something I'm really struggling with right now is what I think in the Bible is called a spirit of fear. I told them that I was having a lot of fear of some of my public speaking events, and they took the bait. They, even the atheist was like, what is that? What is the spirit of fear? I think I have that. And then the woman next to her turned around in her chair and said, well, what does the Bible say about how to get rid of a spirit of fear? which leads to a gospel presentation. Jesus claims to have power. I mean, I don't know if it's like an actual demon or something, but he does say, you know, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a sound mind. And I just love using language and and having people respond to it. I also tell my students about my church life, you know, right before class starts, if they ask, you know, what did you do over the weekend? I'll often talk about things I learned at church things I read in the Bible. This is really important to normalize spiritual conversations, to normalize spiritual language and see what people do. Like often I'll ask, can I pray a blessing over you? Nobody has ever said no, Helen. Nobody ever says no when I say, can I pray a blessing over you? So the fishermen just cast the bait of spiritual language, see who responds, and then cooperate with Jesus in your sent life. And I think it's a matter of being intentional at first, and then it's going to become natural, um, like every habit, you know, after you've practiced it intentionally for a certain amount of time, it's just going to just flow out of you. So I I feel like, um, you know, this uh, for anyone who needs a boost to their hope. And and I, I've said this, that hope is very fragile. Like it's, it's an absolute necessity in our lives and we cannot live without hope, but it's fragile. And so it, it needs to be cherished and nourished and, and um, cared for. And so it, I feel like your book would be a wonderful tool for both of your books, actually, uh, Scent and the Six Conversations would be a wonderful tool to reframe your mindset. Whatever a person may be hoping for right now, uh, whether it's a breakthrough in their circumstances or a change worldwide in the broken world that we're living in, reframing your mindset is part of hope understanding exactly what is it that you're hoping for, what is it exactly that you're living towards is uh, a big part of hope and strengthening your hope. So we obviously are going to make uh, links in our show notes for, again, for both of your books, even though we've already done the episode on uh, six uh, conversations, I recommend uh, to our listeners scrolling down in the <laughs> list of episodes. And it's actually not that far down because it, it was, I think, December is when we had yes, that. Yes, time passes. Time passes. That was it such a does. fun episode. Uh, so um, I think your books would be a wonderful, um, wonderful tool for hope. So thank you so much, Heather. I love talking to you. 
Some people, like Heather, naturally possess the gift of evangelism. If you don't feel like one of these people, I hope that you are encouraged by the story she shared about her husband. Although it is not in his personality to be an evangelist, he's still able to impact someone else's life by simply caring for the well-being of another person. No matter what your personality is and no matter what your gifts are, you have a story to share. The story of how Jesus gave his life for you, how he has worked miracles in your life, and how he offers the free gift of salvation to everyone who believes in him. Sent life is a hopeful life, and vice versa. If you want to learn more about how to live a sent life, you can find a link to Heather's book, Sent, in the show notes of this episode. At World Missions Alliance, we believe that change lives change lives. If you would like to learn more about what we do and how you can be a part, visit our website, rfwma.org. There you can also learn more about the Hope Rising Conference. It is coming up March 29th, 30th, and 31st in Branson, Missouri. And if you need a boost for your hope, if you want to be encouraged, if you want to be surrounded by people who passionately follow Jesus, I encourage you to come. Again, the website is rfwma.org, and there you can find out how you can register, and we hope to see you in Branson. Until next time, I'm Helen Todd. Limitless Spirit Podcast is produced by World Missions Alliance. We believe that changed lives change lives. If you want to see your life transformed by Christ's love, or if you want to help those who are hurting and hopeless and discover your greater purpose in serving Christ through short-term missionary work, check out our website, rfwma.org, and find out how to get involved.